0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. Um, We'll be starting there, uh, moving a little bit forward, and then we'll jump to the New Testament uh, through the message today. When missionaries gather together, we do it on the field. Uh, As an organization, we do it once every two years. We gather as a region. Uh, Our team does it monthly. And uh, we occasionally get together with other missionaries from other organizations as well, and one of the things we happen to do often is talk about America and the churches back in the states that support us uh, and and those relationships that we have with churches and it becomes a, a a lot of missionaries will share uh really sad stories about things that have happened with them in churches and just some disappointments uh, One of the things we typically always share in those situations, is the blessing that Grace Point Church has been to our family. Um, You guys do it right. And I was reminded of that at summer nights. Uh, Melanie was doing the missionary uh, spiel. I think it was Crazy Sailor Day or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Cranky sea captain. Yeah. And at the end of it, she asked for a volunteer to pray for the missionaries, and one of the girls raised her hand. She stood up, and she asked Melanie, which missionary do you want me to pray for? She said, oh, pray for all of them. And I was thinking we were going to get the general, God bless all of our missionaries as they serve you overseas. Amen. She stood up, and she prayed for every missionary you support by name and mentioned their location. And uh, that hit me right, right in the heart. Um, you guys are a great church, and we appreciate you for all that, that you do in partnering with us and reaching Romania. So thank you. Um Normally, I don't preach topically, I go through a book, uh, seeing as I only have one Sunday, and I'm also supposed to share about ministry in Romania, you're getting a topical sermon. So I'm a little out of my, uh, out of my normal, but uh, uh, bear with me, and we will do uh, just that topical sermon. Out of Exodus chapter 3, to give you the context, since we haven't been going through the book, Israel's been in slavery for about 400 years. Uh, they're in Egypt. And there's this guy named Moses. You might be familiar with his story. Uh, He ended up being raised in Pharaoh's palace. And uh, he was an an Israelite. And he saw an Egyptian abusing one of the Israelite slaves. And he inadvertently killed the man. And he became an outlaw and he fled. And so that's where we find Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus in verse 4. If you would read with me. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and, who have he- and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. Jump to verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open it freely, to gather together and worship you through song and through the preaching and teaching of your word, through uh, fellowshipping with one another. I pray that this morning as we examine your word, that you will be glorified and honored, that we will leave this place um, having grown, having been touched by your word in our hearts and our minds, that we may become more like your son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I, I love this passage because, actually, chapters 3 and 4, because it's this uh, interaction between Moses and God. It's kind of like a ping-pong match, that's how I envision it. Uh, God will say something, he hits the ball to Moses, and Moses responds. He, he, he does an action or he responds verbally back to God. It's this back-and-forth uh, thing, and, and through that we observe... Uh, a little bit about Moses' character, about his personality, and we also observe a lot about God's grace and his mercy and just how he interacts with fallen men. So back in verse 5, God explains to Moses that he's standing on holy ground. He says, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. And so Moses takes off his sandals. He stops going forward because he recognizes when there's a bush burning and not being consumed and a voice speaks out of it, you should probably listen. Uh, <laughs> I, I would. I would I would stop and, and do what it says, and that's what Moses does. Uh, he responds appropriate, appropriately. He takes off his sandals. I was going to wear sandals this morning just so I could take them off and say that I wore sandals, but I knew my wife wouldn't approve, so I'm wearing shoes. Uh, verse 6, God identifies himself to Moses. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and he goes down the list of... Um, men that Moses respected and knew and identified. And so when God said that, he knew exactly who he was talking to. He was talking to Almighty God. Uh, and Moses responds in an appropriate way. He hides his face. Because <coughs> Moses knew that the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, uh, was a holy and true God. And so Moses hid his face because he knew he, he was a sinful man and couldn't stand before a holy and true God face-to-face. Face. Uh, and so you see this action. First, you have God says, um, you're standing on holy ground. Moses responds. He takes off his sandals. He he doesn't go any further. God makes a statement. He says who he is. He identifies himself. Moses responds. He hides his face. And then in verse 8, God, I'm sorry, verse 7, uh, God makes a statement that was kind of key for Moses. He said, I have seen the affliction." I know they're suffering. God's identifying the fact that he knows what's happening to the nation of Israel. Um, Remember, years before, Moses saw what was happening. He took matters into his own hand. He killed an Egyptian in an effort to help uh, an Israelite, the nation of Israel, because of the situation they found themselves in, in slavery. And God explains to Moses that he knows what's happening in Egypt. Moses wasn't the only one. Moses wasn't alone. God saw the, the difficulty. God saw the situation. He knew the hard, hard conditions. Moses wasn't the only one that cared. God cared as well. And so you have God, he makes a statement, and then we're getting ready for Moses to respond, except for in verse 8, there's a change up. Moses doesn't respond, he doesn't react to what God said um, because Moses already did. He took matters into his own hands years before, he did react to the, the situation. Uh, That caused him to be an outlaw. And so God makes a statement of the need, the affliction, and the suffering. He knows what's going on, and God reacts uh, in a statement to Moses. He responds to his own statement about Moses' difficulty by saying, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 8 is a key verse in this passage, because God says there's a problem, there's a situation that needs remedy. I'm going to resolve it. There are people in need, there are people suffering, there are people with no hope, no future, and I, God, the true God, the holy God, am going to solve this problem. Uh, And God's setting us up for just a beautiful picture of what he's going to do. He's going to set them free, and that was the plan that always was the plan. Um, God, in his infinite wisdom, in his unlimited power, in his majestic sovereignty, had planned on freeing the nation of Israel. Moses kind of just jumped the gun and took things into his own hands. And that's why God said, I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. So you jump into verse 10, and God gives the means by which he plans to accomplish this great plan. The way in which God's going to go about it, Moses will go for God and will redeem the people through God's own (laughs) strength. It's important to recognize that God said he was going to do it. It wasn't, there's a problem, Moses, go and solve it. He said, there's a problem, Moses. I'm going to solve it. You're going to go for me. It was through God's power that this was going to take place. So God gives Moses the plan. He tells him that it's through his own power that he's going to solve it and that Moses gets to be a part of what's going to happen. Uh, It wasn't that God needed him. It was that Moses was given a privilege to be a part of what God was going to do. Um, And it would be great if we could stop here in verse 10 chapter 3, verse 10, and jump to chapter 4, verse 18, where Moses actually goes to Egypt and does what God says. If we could just cut out this this chapter of the Bible after verse 10 to 4, 18, and and just set it aside to be great, we'd have this wonderful image of Moses. God said he's going to do this, and then Moses did it, but that's not what took place. Um, God gave the command, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you will bring my people out, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 10, and then in verse 11, Moses responds. So back to that ping-pong thing, a a, a statement or an action and a reaction. Moses responds to God's command in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Uh, Some translations say Moses protested. Uh, I believe it's the NLT. It says Moses protested to God, and that was really the attitude. Moses wasn't on board with God's plan. Uh, He's looking for reasons why or arguments why he shouldn't be the one to go. God, that's a great plan that you're going to free Israel. Who, who am I to be a part of this? Um, I don't think, God, I don't think you have the right guy for it. There are others more qualified. There are others more trained to do this. Who, who am I? I'm Moses. I'm, if you didn't notice, I'm a shepherd. I'm really good with sheep. You're wanting me to go to Pharaoh and deal with people. Uh, and you got to recognize Moses is talking to God through a burning bush that's not being consumed. It's, it's not just a casual conversation at Starbucks. you know. A miraculous thing is taking place. Moses recognized who this was, that he was standing on holy ground, that he was talking to Almighty God. He hid his face. And then once God asks Moses to do something out of his comfort zone, Moses begins with the excuses. Uh, and so he begins to argue with Almighty God who could just squish him in a second. It blows my mind. Um, But then I realized that I argue with God a lot too. And so uh, I can relate well with Moses. Uh, And so in verse 12, God responds to Moses. He hits the ping pong ball back to Moses' side of the court. But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. Some translations say you will worship God on this mountain. The idea is, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt. You're going to be successful. God makes a statement. That's a a great statement. And then you're going to return here and you're going to worship me. That's going to be a sign that that this is what's going to happen because I am going to have you come back and worship me because God wanted Moses to worship him there with the people of Israel. Not only that, a bonus, here's a bonus, or really the key for you, Moses, I will be with you in all all the things you're going to do, I'm going to be right there with you through it all. Uh, God made this promise to Moses to kind of calm Moses down, because Moses is in the argumentative protesting mode, and God's like, hey, if it's doubt, don't worry, I'm with you, I'm going to take care of it, look, here's a bush, it's burning, it's not being consumed, me, this God, is going to go with you to Pharaoh, and we're going to solve this problem. In verse 13, Moses protests, or he finds another excuse. He continues on in this um, kind of verbal defiance. If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name, and what shall I say? He, it's this... If I go they're going to doubt that you sent me and then what would I say to them If a direct argument didn't work with God Moses is going to try to use the dumb argument I was good at that growing up Mom would be like hey go clean the living room and then the dining room cuz company's coming over How do we clean the living room mom I like there's stuff and where does it go Your sister will do it just go clean your room You know the the dumb argument I don't understand what do I say? What do I do? Moses is hoping he can dumb his way out of serving God. Um, they're they're going to ask me, and then I won't know what to say. Moses was good at excuses, and that's, I think that's why I like Moses, because uh, I relate so well to him. And he continues with excuse after excuse into chapter 4, where he says, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech. It's a, it's a good uh, thing that Moses is known for saying, I'm not good at speaking. Uh, it's a difficulty for me. I can't talk well. I'm not good at this. Remember, I'm really good at sheep because they don't talk back and they don't argue. They just follow me and do do what I say because I lead them to grass. Um, And then in in chapter 4 again, Moses begs God in verse 13. He says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. He actually begs God to not send him to do the thing that God has asked him to do. We get the benefit of seeing Moses' life, and as he led the nation of Israel out, and he was this great leader, we get to look back on all the things because God developed him over the years as he led the nation of Israel. But at this point in time, he's begging God, God, please don't send me. I'm not the man for the job. There's others, there's others that aren't outlaws. I mean, I'm a criminal on the run. You want me to go stand in front of the sheriff and say, hey, here am I, God wants you to do this. Send someone else. Sometimes we don't value ourselves as God values ourselves, as God values us. Um, we can make excuses. We can listen to lies that we tell ourselves. We can listen to lies that Satan wants to throw our way. You've got no value. You're, you're not important. Um, so we can't imagine how God would use us Moses couldn't imagine how God was going to use him. Even though God made the promise, I'll be with you, we're going to do it. I have come to set Israel free. All these things, Moses couldn't grasp a hold of it because he was just listening to the lies, the miscalculations that he had in his head. I'm a criminal, I'm on the run, I've been in the wilderness, I take care of sheep, that's who I am. And God said, hey, I see value in you, I want you to help, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing you're going to go with me. We're going to set Israel free from the nation of Egypt. Sometimes we're just stubborn and bullheaded, and that, that's kind of me uh, growing up. That was what my parents would describe me as. They said I taught them to pray very well. Um, so I'm going to give you a little insight into myself, the protests, the excuses that I've used growing up to get me to the mission field. Born in a Christian family, my parents faithful at sharing the gospel with me and my sisters and my brother, and they would ask me, do you want to be saved? Do you want Jesus to be in your heart? Is this good news to you? And I would, no, no thank you. Very strong and stubborn for years. Uh, eventually God did get a hold of my life, hold of my heart, and uh, I began to follow him, and I made that commitment to allow him to lead me. And so I came to San Diego for college, grew up in the high desert, it's really hot there. Like, it's hot here in the summer, but it's really hot in the high desert. So San Diego sounded like the perfect place to move and, like, live. And so moved down here for college, started going to college, um, got involved in ministry. And in the midst of all that, I, I started to develop a plan. Really, before I got to college, I had developed the plan. I was going to go to college, become a youth pastor, do youth ministry till I was too old, and then I, I would do the senior pastor thing. It was a good plan. Um, but I knew ministry didn't always pay well, so I was going to marry a woman who had a good job, maybe a doctor, <laughs> a nurse with a lot of experience that just, she made some good money so that she could support me in the ministry. We'd have 2.5 kids, a house, white picket fence, two dogs, a cat, you, you know, just, I had this dream of how my life was going to be, but the, the plan was to honor God with my life, to serve him in youth ministry. And so I thought it was the perfect plan. It was my plan. It wasn't God's plan. And uh, so he started moving some of the pieces on the table to change my understanding of what his plan was. We, every year we took our youth ministry on a short-term mission trip, and uh, we took them to Peru one year. And in the midst of that, it's a great story. I won't tell it now because it consumes a lot of time, but uh, I ended up falling down the side of a mountain, getting some internal bleeding, I spent a week in the hospital, uh, and the hosting missionary uh, husband and wife and their two oldest kids rotated with who stayed with me in the hospital to translate with the doctors. You know, I'm in pain, please give me more medicine. Don't amputate my leg. I'd like to keep it. Those kind of things. Uh, And it was that week of spending time with them on a one-on-one basis that I realized missionaries were just regular people. Like, they're normal. They were normal people, and I'd For some reason, it didn't click before. Um, They were regular people. They just loved the Lord and were willing to serve him wherever God led. And that took them to Peru. Uh, And it was a revelation for me. And and so in my medicated state, I had a conversation with the Lord. And I told him, I I recognize I'm a regular person. My wife would argue I'm abnormal. But I'm a regular person, God, and I love you. So I'm willing to go wherever you want but I really think we have a good plan with the whole youth pastor, live in America, house, white picket fence, wife that makes money, kids, dogs. It's a good plan. We'll stick with that unless, unless you make it obvious. But I, I had that conversation with God. I was willing to go if that's what he wanted. Um, let's jump back into Exodus for a moment. Chapter 4, if you would. Continuing on in Moses' story. Verses 1 through 5. And then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by its tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. It's interesting, the last part of Exodus chapter 3, God goes on to explain to Moses, hey, here's the plan, here's why it's going to work, this is what we're going to do. And then we jump into chapter 4, and Moses starts up with the excuses again. You know, if I go, they won't believe me. Moses is, is back into that uh, defiant kind of attitude, that looking to get out of what God's trying to have him do. Um, and it's funny because he, he tried that approach earlier in chapter 3. He said, what if they don't believe me? And now he's saying, God, they won't believe me. He asked God, what if they don't believe me? God explained to them, they will believe you, and here's why, and here's what's going to happen. And then chapter 4, he says, God, they're, they're not going to believe me. Uh, summer nights was Thursday, Friday, Saturday? No, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this last, of this last week. And uh, it was great to be here, and I really enjoyed seeing Henry explain to everyone the games. Because uh, he would go into great detail. Here's how it's going to work, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, this and this. And here's the rules. This, this and this. And inevitably people are like, "What what are we doing?" <laughs> and you know, Henry's a tall guy. Everyone can see him. He's got a loud lot, large voice. Uh, everyone could hear him. But just people were like, How how do we play the he's I just said um yeah, it would have drove me nuts to be running the games cuz you You clearly explain it, and then someone doesn't understand God clearly explained to Moses, "Hey, Moses, they're gonna believe you. it's gonna work. I'm gonna be with you, and then we get into chapter four god they're they're not gonna believe like no, yeah, and God had dealt with the question, He'd given him the answers, and so this is where if I was writing the story if if I was a creative writer. And then God smacked Moses across the head. Like, that's the perfect point for it. He already dealt with it, and now he gave him the backside of his hand. No, God had dealt with it, but look, look at how God uh, responded. I'm trying to find it in the, uh, verse 2, I'm sorry. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. God comes back with a question, which Christ often did in his ministry uh Moses tells God that they're not going to believe, and God says, "What is that in your hand?" And Moses says, "It's a staff. It's an ordinary shepherd. I got sheep. Shepherds have staffs. It's the latest model. It's made of wood. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything special. It wasn't the keys to the batmobile, you know It's a shepherd's staff. It's a piece of wood, a regular old shepherd's staff. And then God goes on to explain to Moses, "Hey, Moses." I'm going to take that ordinary shepherd staff and I'm going to use that in freeing the nation of Israel. But not just the staff. I'm going to use the ordinary guy that's connected to it. That, that shepherd that, uh, if you've ever been around sheep, we have lots of shepherds in Romania. If you've ever been around sheep, they stink. Um, they stink a lot. And so a shepherd's going to smell kind of like sheep. And he's not going to be the most wonderful smelling individual. And God told Moses, hey, I'm going to use that staff. I'm going to use you the way you are to do what I want to accomplish. And we see that God can take an ordinary staff, an ordinary man, and use it for his purposes. And when he does, great things can happen. Uh, and when I talk about great things, my mind goes to my wife, because she's been a great thing that's happened to me in my life. She was born in Romania, if you didn't know, uh, thus the accent and the slightly different name. Uh, she was born during communism and grew up in that, that era, and it was at her grandfather's funeral she heard the gospel clearly uh, presented to her, and through that and some other um, events in her life, she came to know the Lord. Communism collapsed, and she knew she wanted to grow in her faith, and so she started attending a Bible college that was about a half hour away from her hometown. Um, and I, it was around that time, I eventually stopped telling God his plan and started looking for his, uh, started trying to understand what was his plan, let me... Let me take a step back and realize that I don't know everything, and God does. Let me investigate and talk to him and, and see where he leads me. And so I quit telling him my plans, and he led me to take a year off of college, uh, and I went to Romania and helped some missionaries that were there uh, long-term that had a Bible college, and one of the things they needed was someone to drive the school bus. It was a large van, um, <laughs> And I just happened to be a school bus trainer in the States, so I had this shepherd staff that I could use. I, I hadn't even finished college. I was just a regular guy that knew how to drive a bus, and they had a need. And so I, I took the year off of uh, college, and I went and served with them. Uh, in, the, in the daytime, I would do construction out at a ministry center, and at night, afternoons, evenings, I would drive the school bus from the mountains, pick up all the students. It was about an hour, hour and a half drive for me. Pick them all up along the way, take them to college, the Bible college. I'd help out at the Bible college in whatever way I could. When school was done, I would drive everyone back home. Uh, it wasn't a glorious position, but it was a need, and it was something that God led me to do. Um, and during that time, there just happened to be this amazing Romanian woman at the Bible College, and uh, there she is sitting in the audience. <laughs> Long story short, we did the long-distance dating thing uh, because we started to date, and my year was up, and I had promised myself that I would return to finish college here. So we did the long-distance thing, and that was before FaceTime and WhatsApp and you know all the wonderful technology advances we have today. It was the time of buy a phone card call your girlfriend in Eastern Europe and pay ungodly amounts of money to talk to her. And so in six months, I racked up quite the bill in phone cards. She was worth it. You were worth it. And uh, at Christmas break, I flew over. I proposed. She said yes. I came back, did another six months of phone cards. Uh, and then uh, summer break happened and uh, traveled back over to Romania. We got married uh, in the summer of '02. And my plan was we get married return to San Diego where I had one semester left of my undergraduate work, do that, and go to Romania. Um, again, that was my plan. That wasn't quite God's plan. Uh, he, he still had some teaching for me to do. Uh, so ten years later, uh, I had finished seminary, graduated, had some pastoral ministry experience, and uh, we ended up having three kids in the midst of ten years in the States. We finally moved back to Romania in 2012. Uh, And I go back to Moses and the idea that God had promised Moses that he would go with him. Uh, When we moved to Romania, we moved to the capital, and if you've ever been to Romania and the capital, you'll know that it's almost like two very different countries. Romania is a beautiful, calm, green place, and the capital is just... It's it's the capital. And the first year for us was quite the transition. I'm actually going to show you some pictures. Uh, The first one is a picture of the Capitol. That is a a typical apartment building. I'm big and ugly, so I'll get out of the way. Um, And you'll see in the background, right on the horizon, it's just a bunch of other apartment buildings. So we went from San Diego County. Uh, Prior to that, my wife grew up in the In the green areas of Romania, I'm from San Diego, so we moved to this. And and it was difficult for us, Um, and we continued to cling to the idea that God was with us and that he wanted us there, and we were just being obedient and following him. There's about 3 million people that that live in Bucharest. It's a very small city. Um, I believe it was Forbes magazine this last year that said Romania was the fourth most congested city when it comes to transportation we can go to the next slide. That's a typical intersection for us. Uh, it, it's actually, if you're, you, you know, young men up to the age of whatever age I am, really enjoy driving in the city because there's no rules. You can just do whatever you want. And uh, it's when when you can drive, when you're not stuck in traffic. Uh, and part of the thing is there's so many people there. Everyone's struggling to survive they're struggling to um, make ends meet life is difficult there and so people are more aggressive which means they're less friendly Uh, and like i said earlier if you get out of the city it's a totally different country um i i could run into someone i haven't seen in a year outside the city and they're going to invite me to coffee right then and there and we'll sit for two hours and and drink some really strong coffee and enjoy our time together um but everyone's so busy in the city, it's just a different lifestyle. And so it was, again, uh, difficult in that first year for us as we transitioned uh, from San Diego to Romania. And the next slide is just a picture of our family. Um, we're actually in the hospital with Abby. You are very much aware that we've struggled through some health situations. And so, uh, again, we continue to cling to the idea that God is with us. Uh, Abby, two years ago, had uh, her fifth surgery, open heart surgery. Um, she's doing great, by the way, for those of you that don't know. She won't theoretically need another surgery until she's about 18 years old, which is in seven years. So we're excited about that. Um, me, he still struggles with her autoimmune disease. Abby's got some dietary issues. Uh, the other three of us are pretty good. So, um, but we we cling to God's promise that he's with us as he guides us to do things. Another thing that we saw and and difficulty that we faced was just spiritual warfare. You can go to the next slide, which is blank. Yes, okay. Um, We saw and experienced spiritual warfare. Uh, In that first year, it hit us pretty hard. And some of the ways it manifested itself were simple things like um, we lived in an apartment building, so we were on... It's, I think in, the, in America we would say the first floor. So we weren't on the ground floor; we were the next floor up. That's the first floor, second floor, second floor. I get confused. In Romania, it's the first floor. So, um, so we're off the ground, but we still had like seven floods in our apartment from apartment buildings above us, pipes bursting. It would leak down the column, fill our home. Um, and it typically always happened on Tuesdays. Because Tuesday night we had a Bible study, and we would invite people into our home and, and study the Word of God. So every Tuesday, it was like, okay, let's see what's going to happen today. Uh, flood, uh, the electrical in our apartment, just our apartment, not the whole building. It burnt out because it was old and it was wired wrong. And Bible study by candlelight actually kind of cool. Uh, yeah. I don't know that the people attending cared for it, but I, I thought it was, it was kind of this romantic notion, you know. We're on the mission field using candles to study the Word of God. Can it get any better than that? Um, you know, issues with national partners and ministry, missionary colleagues. and We saw it all in that first year. And Exodus 3.12, God promised Moses that he would go with him. And for us, we looked to Hebrews 13.5 where God promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so as we go, as we went... And as we continue to go, we hold to that truth, to that promise from God. <clears throat> um, the first year finished, uh, which meant I had finished language school, and uh, now I could argue with my wife in her native tongue. She still wins because she's smarter than me, but um, we, in that first year, our my boss's boss told me not to settle in any one church because... If we did, we'd just get involved in ministry and I'd quit learning the language. I see the wisdom in that uh, now. And so we'd visited 18 different churches in the first year. It was difficult for the kids because they are like, we just want to settle and have friends and go to the same church. And so at the end of that language studies, it was time for us to figure out where our home church base was going to be in Romania in the capital uh, and then go from there in ministry. And so we mentally took these 18 churches and kind of listed them out And at the bottom, uh, number 18 would have been the church that we ended up at. Because, you know, my plans aren't always God's plans. I kind of see a theme reoccurring in my life. Um, God moved and did a lot of things to make it obvious that he wanted us there. And our first Sunday, there were 13 people at the church. We're a family of five. You can do the math. Uh, It was a very small group. It had been a church planted by um, a larger church. They planted it in the city. And the pastor had left. And so it caused a lot of turmoil, and the church had dwindled down to almost nobody. And so my wife, in the midst of discussing and, and strategizing, I guess, she asked me, do we know how to revive a, a pretty much a dead church or a dying church? And uh, I, with confidence, because I wanted her to feel like she could follow me, follow after me. I said, Absolutely. Um, we preached and teach the Word of God. Because that's that's all I knew what to say and what to do. You know, when someone's dying, you just start breathing air into their lungs and you pray hard that, you know, God, please bring them back. And that's what we did at the church. We uh, taught the Word of God and we prayed that God would revive the church. And the good news is, that lesson I learned in Peru, God uses normal people that are just willing and obedient. And so he used us Uh, Our job in Romania hasn't been to be Superman or Batman or super mega missionaries or Christians. It's just been to be willing and obedient to God and to follow what he directs us to do. So jump ahead six years later to today. Um, We're at the same church. It's no longer 13 people. It's about 45 members. Uh, In the last year, a, a really good Sunday, we had 100, a little over 100 people, um, and so out of being at this church, multiple ministries for us has been things that God's allowed us to be a part of, and you can start the next slide. Um, I'm, I'm real active in training church leaders. This might not look like the perfect picture. Um, it's a bunch of knees and cups of coffee. Because in Romania, we try not to be touristy and taking pictures of everything. We're having an elders meeting at a coffee shop. And uh, so I nonchalantly took a picture uh, of me and the men. And uh, I'm blessed to be able to invest in their lives and to see them grow. And uh, if you go to the next slide, we do a lot of one-on-one discipleship. Here's my wife with another woman at our dinner table. Um, obviously, she works with the women. I work with the men. Uh, there's no shortage of people that want to meet and grow. Uh, that are looking for answers in this life. The following slide is a slide of... Slide. The following picture is a picture of us uh, doing some marriage ministry. One of the, the fallouts from communism that we've seen uh, in, in the Christian community is there's not a lot of marriages that have gone the distance uh, where the younger generation can look up to and say, hey, that's what a godly marriage looks like. That's what we need to do. And so there's questions how do you love your wife like Christ loves the church? How do how do we do this thing called marriage together? Um, a lot of questions, and so we have opportunity to teach, to counsel, to mentor. Um, lots of marriage ministry, more than we have time to do, and uh, it's it's been a big part of of the things we've done. Uh, one of the joys we get on the next picture. Uh, we partnered with a church about two hours southwest of Bucharest, and uh, this is a picture of the youth ministry there, which started with I believe it was eight uh, the first Tuesday night that we did. Um, it's a church. The pastor's in the bottom right, bottom, yeah, bottom right corner, right here. Great guy, has a heart for, has a heart for the lost, and a heart for God's church. Uh, his. Church is in a a city, and it's surrounded by multiple villages, and there's 10 villages in the area that don't have a pastor. And so he drives to each and every one of those churches, and he pastors, essentially pastors 11 churches, his church and then 10 others. And so he's been um, engaging with the younger uh, people in the church and the older people in the church that are willing and able to go out and minister in those village churches. And so part of the growth in the youth ministry here is because he's also called up people that have cars and said, hey, we have a youth ministry. Uh, Chris and others from Bucharest come down and help us with it. We need to get these kids from the village to the youth group. And so there's five or six different villages that are represented in that picture at the youth ministry um, because they take their money, they spend their gas, which is like 8 or $9 a gallon. They drive out and pick kids up and bring them, bring them to the city so that they can come to youth group, and then they take them home. Uh, so it's just an incredible opportunity for us to be a part of the ministry here. And funny story that goes with it, my language, I did the one year of language study, um, but my grammar's not perfect. There's 168 pronouns. makes it a little tough. English isn't my best language in school either. um, But 168 pronouns makes it difficult just in the pronoun category. Uh, of knowing which pronoun you choose and wh- where do you insert it and use it. And so my Romanian's not perfect. I need to study some more. But I, I, me, he goes down with me, tries to go down at least once a month. Uh, and it was one of the nights she didn't go down with me. I, I leave at 5. It takes two hours to get there, 7. Youth group starts 7 to 9 or 10, just depends on the night. And then two hours home. And so I got home a little after midnight. And she asked me how it went. And it was, I think it was this uh, Tuesday actually um and I said, you know, the the youth ministry's growing, it's amazing, and I know it's got nothing to do with me uh because my language difficulties and she's like, "Oh, I know it's got nothing to do with you. God is blessing." And so she helps keep me humble. It's a good thing. Um but really, God has been blessing that ministry despite uh, our weaknesses. And then uh, the next picture, it's a picture of a VBS program that we did actually two summers ago. We weren't there this summer. Um, but our church in Bucharest travels down and joins the church where we do youth ministry and we partner together and we do—we put on four VBS programs in villages. And uh, about 200 kids between all four villages uh, come and hear the gospel and get to participate in the VBS programs that we have. It's been a blessing to see the people from the big city partner with the people that aren't from the big city and do ministry together. And uh, kind of sad we weren't there this summer. It was the first, uh, really the first summer where the youth from our church two hours from our home actually taught the Bible lessons and were more active in the ministry. Um, so I'm looking forward to going back and hearing reports about that. And then the last picture I have uh, is just a picture of our church service. Uh, You'll see on the far right, guitarist, my beautiful wife. uh, When her health is well and there is a need, she plays. Um, She says, I'm not allowed to get anywhere near the music. I'll ruin it. (laughs) I debate that, but that's okay. Um, I get to preach often, although uh, more and more the men, uh, the elders in the church, are able to get up and preach, and I'm helping work with them and putting resources in their hands, and and seeing them develop uh, their their desire and their giftingness in preaching and sharing the word of God with the people of the church. It's a blessing, and there's a lot of other ministries that we do that I'm not highlighting right now. Um, each one of these and the ones that we didn't I didn't talk about, uh, they're happening because. God's making them happen. It's not because of us. Uh, We're not extremely uh, gifted in things that make this happen. It's God saying he wants to do it and saying, hey, Chris, me, why don't you come along? I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And so we feel blessed to do that. Uh, We're just regular people, and we're willing to be obedient and follow after him. So if you will, grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew 14. And if you're taking notes, uh, this we're talking about the feeding of the five thousand. If you're taking notes, it's also in Mark six, thirty to forty-four, Luke nine, ten to seventeen, and John six one through fifteen. Uh, it's in all four of the gospels. Uh, let me read it for you: Matthew fourteen verses thirteen to twenty-one. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard this, They followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, there was a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking upward to heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides the women and the children. Again, we see God saying something and the disciples push him back a little. Jesus says, you guys feed them, and they they push back because they didn't understand the big picture. Um, They didn't have the resources to feed 5,000 people. If 5,000 people showed up in the parking lot right now, we'd have trouble at the uh, barbecue outside. We don't have the resources to make that happen today. We weren't prepared, and the disciples weren't prepared for it. They had five loaves and two fish, and in John we read where they got it from. There was a little boy that had a meal, and obviously one of them went to him and said, hey, we're, Jesus needs f- the food. And the little boy hands a sack lunch. that mom prepared for him. It's a good mama. Moms be good moms for your kids. You never know what they're going to do with it. And uh, the little boy just knew that Jesus needed it, and so he gave it. Uh, my guess is the little boy probably thought Jesus w- was hungry and needed to eat so he could continue to have strength and teach because there's no way his little lunch was going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Um Jesus took that ordinary lunch, blessed it, began to break the bread, and it fed a small army well, it's kind of a larger army uh, The little boy didn't need to know the end the game plan; he just knew Jesus needed it. He was willing and obedient to give to give his lunch uh, a contrast to Moses. Uh, pushing back on God's plan. The little boy just in faith said, yeah, take my lunch. It's okay. Uh, And I think that's something we have to remember, that that the Lord's ability to feed the 5,000 wasn't based on the disciples' ability or their resources. It wasn't based on the little boy's um, abilities or resources because they didn't have what it took to feed the people. It was based on the fact that God blessed what was given, um, God's ability to reach the lost and grow His church in Romania, isn't based on, nor is it dependent on our ability as a family or our resources. If it was, it would be a sad state. It's the same thing's true here in San Diego, uh, here in Valley Center. God isn't dependent on us or our resources. He doesn't. He doesn't need us to make it happen. Uh, remember God's words to Moses: "I." have come down to free Israel. Moses just got to be a part of the blessing. He was used by God. He wasn't a necessary part of the solution. God's ability to accomplish his plans was and is and continues to be based on his blessing resting on us as believers, resting on us as followers of Jesus Christ, and resting on our resources. Uh, A lot of times we look at the problems and we say it's too big. We can't, I don't have enough. We can't accomplish that. We can't fix that. We, 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 and we forget who we are serving. A God that can turn five loaves and two fish into a feast. Um, God's ability to accomplish his plans is based on his blessing, not on our resources, not on our abilities. He takes what little we have when we offer it. Um and he can use it to accomplish whatever he wants. He took five loaves and two fish. He fed that, that large group of people, 5,000 men, 5,000 women, let's say 2,000 kids, that's 12,000. Even at 5,000, that's impressive. He can take an ordinary shepherd's staff, an ordinary shepherd, and turn Moses into an amazing leader who freed the nation of Israel from the strongest country in the world at the time, Egypt. God can take a normal follower of Jesus Christ, like you or me, and accomplish great things. Moses' job was to be willing and obedient. He struggled a little. He had to stop arguing. He had to stop and listen to God and and quit hitting the ping pong ball back across the table. He just needed to listen to God. Our job as missionaries is to be willing and obedient, just like Moses. Every believer has a job, and that's to be willing and obedient to whatever God has to say. Uh, Too often we're not listening and so a rhetorical question for you is what is it that God has been asking you to be willing and obedient about? Because if we're followers of Jesus Christ, well, maybe, maybe I should stop there and not assume. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I can tell you what he's wanting you to be willing and obedient about, and that's turning your life over to him. We need the Lord. We need to place our trust in him. He's the only way we will get to heaven and spend eternity there. And so if you haven't done that, please talk to Pastor Gunner afterwards or someone else in the church, talk to me. I'd love to talk with you. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God. And my wife and I have a relationship. We talk on a daily basis. Uh, God has things he wants us to know. He's given us his word. He has things he wants us to do. We need to have that relationship with him. And so if we do... There are things he wants us to do. there are things He wants us to be a part of, and so what is it that god 's been putting on your heart lately? Uh, what is it that he 's directing you to do that maybe you 're looking and putting up excuses like Moses maybe you 've told god hey i have I have a five year plan god that doesn 't fit the five year plan i don't i don 't think so we 're good at excuses we 're good at giving God our plans we 're not so good at listening um, but we have to remember that when we look at the difficulty of the tasks before us, he's promised to be with us. And it's with his might and his power that he accomplishes the things he wants to do. Maybe God wants you to do something big like Moses, I don't, I don't know, and risk it all. Maybe he wants you to do something little like the boy and just share some of your lunch, share your resources. Or maybe it's something in between. Maybe it's going overseas for two weeks or a month, or just exploring the idea of missions. Um, I know this amazing couple in Romania that would love to have a group come over, uh, or an individual, or whatever. Start that dialogue with Pastor Gunnar. Um, it would be a good thing to to take that step of faith if that's something that God's been prompting you to do. There, yeah, there's fears. We technically aren't a third world country anymore. We're a developing nation, I think is what they call it. Um, But you think third world some of the time developing when you're in the city and third world when you're out. But there are fears. There are difficulties that come. But that promise that God made that he'll be with us is something that carries us through the difficulties and the the fearful times. Maybe God wants you to share the gospel with someone. Maybe there's someone that's been on your heart and you've just kind of pushed back a little because I don't, classic line, I don't want to ruin the relationship. Uh, I know families, they get together for Thanksgiving. There's two things we don't talk about. Uh, two things we don't talk about. Religion and politics. We want to have a great Thanksgiving. Um, the problem is some people adapt that mentality just to their, any relationship. Don't talk about politics or I don't talk about religion. I don't want to ruin the relationship with Aunt Susan or I don't want to ruin the relationship with my neighbor. We have such a good relationship. The problem with that thinking is we elevate that relationship Really, we elevate our, our comfort in that relationship, and we say it's more important for me to be comfortable than for them to go to heaven. I'm, I'm not going to share the gospel with them because I want to be comfortable every time I see Tom, every time I see my cousin or my brother. I want to be comfortable. I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. We're saying it, it's better for them to go to a Christless hell than to share the gospel and maybe, maybe sever a relationship. I don't know, maybe that's what God's been prompting you to do. If it is, I'd encourage you to share the gospel with that person. Um, Just want to leave this last remaining thought with you. God uses normal, normal people. Uh, We don't all have to be superstars. God uses the normal, the ordinary, and with his amazing power, he does great things. Uh, It doesn't depend on us. And so God wants to use you. We just all need to be willing and obedient. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we recognize that we are normal people. Uh, And we love you and that's why we're here, to worship you, uh, to fellowship with your people who are also normal. And we look to you as an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And we recognize that if there is something you want us to do, I pray that we will be willing and obedient to follow your direction in our lives. Even in the small things, God. Even in in sharing our lunch, as the little boy did. Because you took that ordinary lunch that his mom made. And you fed 5,000 men plus women and children. There was nothing special about the lunch. There was nothing special about the boy. It all had to do with your blessing. God, I pray that you bless the things that you lead us to do. I pray that you continue to bless this church as it's a light in this community. I pray that you continue to bless them as they partner with so many different ministries around the world. You're a mighty God and we love you and we thank you that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.